welcome to Hospitals in Focus, where today I am very excited to be sitting across the table from one of the most influential people in healthcare policy, uh, Sister Carol Kean, President and CEO of the Catholic Health Association. I think our listeners are in for an interesting discussion today with Sister. Uh, she knows the hospital sector inside out. Unfortunately for all of us, uh, she has recently announced that after a distinguished career of more than 50 years, uh, she will be retiring this summer. So I thought this would be a real opportune time to bring her on to Hospitals in Focus and give us insights both into her long career and contribution to the field, as well as a feeling for all the policies she's worked on over time and the impact of those policies. So let's start off, sister, if we could, with you giving a sense of what you did before you went to the Catholic Health Association back in 2005. Um, it's a lengthy time, but what were the highlights? What, what was important to you? What were the contributions you think you made? Oh, thank you so much, Chip, for inviting me today. Well, I would say um, I started out as a nurse aide, uh, then a staff nurse, then a, uh, I was asked to open a children's hospital in Pensacola. And that um, I, we did that on April 1st, 50 years ago, this April 1st. Mm. And we will, I'll return to uh, Pensacola on April 1st this year for the dedication of the brand new children's hospital oh, okay. in Pensacola, That's which wonderful. I was had the honor of opening. So that was a big thrill. Um, I also did a couple stints several places as vice president for nursing and then CEO in two hospitals run by the Daughters of Charity. And then... Um, CHA. And it's been a joy for the last almost 14 years to be at CHA. That's great. So tell us, before we get into your career at CHA, tell us a little about CHA and and how it's changed uh, just as an organization since 2005 with your leadership. Well, CHA is a membership organization that's a little over 100 years old now. We started in, in uh, 1915. So we're just a little older than 100. Um, we are there to help our members succeed because we believe the, the contribution Catholic health care has made to this nation over many more than 100 years is incredible and is still something that is a treasure to this country. And so whether it is in education or advocacy or helping to develop policies, doing things that bring our organizations together to share their strengths, working with the bishops in the United States, working with the Vatican um, and the various officials over there who have anything to do with healthcare. CHA is there to represent the members in all of those areas. And so, you know, we talk about, you know, our role is to facilitate what our members do. So we don't see ourselves as having something of a, of a separate role. We're there to help make our members successful because that's what really counts. Just to give a sense, um, what's the breadth of the number of Catholic hospitals today and systems and, and just sort of any, any in terms of describing the membership? What, what, how, do you, how do you talk about them? Well, 
Chip, I have the same challenge you have. Every day, there's a different number of hospitals. Um, and so right now, we're about 635 hospitals. We have about 1,600 other things like clinics, nursing homes, PACE programs, surgery centers, et cetera. So it's, it's fairly significant in size. And it, we're in almost every state. Um, we don't have a hospital in almost every state. And in some states, we may have, say, Mississippi, we'll have one hospital. And other states will be 30% of the hospital uh, beds available. So it's a very complex and varied group of, of hospitals, but united by a lot of things. And as you know, we've, again, share this same phenomenon. We're largely made up of systems. Uh, most over 80% of our membership are now in systems. And as you know, two of those, um, well, it's actually four, four of those systems merged to become two more, two systems instead of four just this year. Good. And I, one of the things that's been a pleasure for me uh, working in the areas that we do um, has been the tremendous co cooperation between all of the hospital groups, but particularly my relationship that we've developed over uh, the last mm -hmm. many, many years in working together um, and working on so many important issues. And what I'd like you to do for a moment is let's go back to 2005 and just sort of play the, the, the camera back and look over that time. What were the key uh, issues that you thought were the most important? Uh, what, what do you look at as accomplishments? And maybe we can as we proceed, and, and I may ask some other questions, get to some anecdotes mm -hmm. that will come out of those accomplishments because <laughs> I have a feeling there are a few. <laughs> well, you know, Chip, I think anytime we would look back in that time frame, the biggest thing would have been the ACA. And I, I've often said to people and to my many physician friends that in the development of the ACA, physician voices were not as strong and as determinant as they should have been given their role in healthcare. But hospital voices, we were able to maintain our voice as, a, as one voice. And that was because we agreed at the beginning that we would fight like tigers behind closed doors, but we would sing from the same song sheet when we were in public. And um, with one modest uh, exception by one member, we did that to a T. And it really, really helped because we never got pitted against each other. We knew that certain things were more important to certain sectors of the healthcare community, but we respected each other's priorities and values. And on the things that were priorities for all of us, we focused very tightly and we tried to come to a position that was livable for all of us before we went into the public arena or before we went into a committee hearing. So I think that you didn't get lots of different voices saying different things in different ways. And we certainly were not able, they were not able to pit us against each other. And many a good legislative program has been lost 
on pitting people against each other. And we were able to prevent that, which I, I think, given the fact that we have such varied priorities, was, was a real credit, not only to the leadership of the associations, but what was behind that leadership. Our boards wanted us to focus on getting the job done, not triumphing over one other association. They wanted, they wanted to get the ACA as right as we could get it. I appreciate that. And I think one of the things about ACA is that we all entered it with, in a sense, one mission. We want to get as many Americans covered as possible because that was good for their health. That was good for those trying to provide care for them. And that was, in a sense, trying to move for so many Americans, the finances aside, so we could focus on the care. Right. And that was you know, what we achieved. Since then, it's been a little rocky road, but but that was the re- what, what, what we were about. Uh, from that period, are there any anecdotes uh, that sort of stick out for you? Uh, obviously, on, on some of the issues that the church was in, in, involved with, you, you were clearly a leader in helping move the legislation to a point where it could be acceptable. Well, you know, sometimes people use, I know that you'll find this surprising, <laughs> Chip, but sometimes people use misinformation to stir up opposition to a good cause or the the cause whether you think it's good or not and in the in the case of those who oppose the ACA one area they thought they could really use to undermine the affordable care act and to prevent its passage was to say the Affordable Care Act will be the largest expansion of abortion coverage with federal funds in the history of our country. Even though President Obama had spoken to a joint session of Congress nationally televised saying there will be no federal funding of abortion in the Affordable Care Act. Even though the Affordable Care Act explicitly said the same thing in the act itself. And even though the president had issued an executive order saying the same thing. And we had a congressional colloquium that Henry Waxman led saying, this is what Congress meant by the way it wrote this law. So years later, if there was a challenge of what Congress meant, they had a colloquium that explicitly said it. There were people who misled the bishops of the United States who were a force. And a lot of, a lot of people who were part of large, a lot of politicians who were part of large Catholic populations, as well as uh, evangelical populations, looked very closely to what the bishops said. And they were misled by their staff. There is no other way to put it. They were misled by their staff. And at the same time, we were going to lose. And um, I can remember being with the people from the White House and talking about getting and, and visiting with members of Congress, and which I did. And then after visiting with a number of them and we talked it through, I happened to have a scheduled trip for a university board I was on that was going to go first to Paris and then to Rome. Uh, to see their sites where their uh, university was. And I'm in Paris at the mother house taking calls from the White House. I'm calling back to this (laughs) congressman, this congresswoman. And at one point, 
the president called my cell phone, and I'm pretty klutzy with my cell phone. <laughs> I let the president go to voicemail. <laughs> but anyway, at least he was kind enough to do that. Yeah. But it was really very, very difficult because, you know, I've been a member of the Catholic Church since I was born, um, and I'm a religious. And a lot of people really took great offense at that. I'm happy to say that in this last effort to destroy the Affordable Care Act, the bishops wrote several letters to Congress saying, please don't destroy it. It has been wonderful. It's done wonderful things. It can be improved, and we've always said that, but but don't destroy it because it's helped so many people. Actually, at the high point, 20 million people that didn't have health insurance got it. Well, hopefully we can get that number back up. Uh, Wait, uh, I, I would be right on that team. Let, let's go back because you, you touched on it when you were defining – uh, the association. Uh, let's go back to the consolidation issue for a moment because yes. it's much discussed and and the economists and some policymakers are always quick to point uh, a finger at this trend. But my concern is, and I, I'd like to get your views on it, is that the world has changed. Oper, hopper, hospital operations have changed. Hospital finances overall have changed. And the maintenance of access is really a question and so can you give us a sense for how you've seen from your experiences uh-huh. as running hospitals as well as obviously running a, a, an association that represents hospitals, how the world has really changed in terms of what the hospital is and does? I mean, so that this consolidation actually is sort of the logical conclusion of that possibly? Well, you know, one of the things that, that I think in terms of slippage is – We've done a really good job as providers and as educators at taking hospitals from my time as a student nurse where if you had a heart attack in the, and you came to the emergency room, what we, you know, we'd give you pain medication, we'd give you oxygen, we'd do an EKG, maybe an echo, we would give you wonderful bed rest. But that was it. Now, and the outcome statistics weren't good. Now we have 30 minutes and you have to be cast and have clot blusters or be ready to have a stent put in. And we've vastly improved not only the care but the outcomes in many, many diseases, whether it's heart disease or cancer or even the, the, the simple thing that many people who are older would remember if, if you had gallbladder surgery in the 70s. It was, uh, it was not any pleasant trip. You had a horrible incision that every way you moved hurt, and you were in the hospital for eight to ten days. We made a fortune on it, but, <laughs> but the truth of the matter mm-hmm. is it was grossly uncomfortable. Now we can have you out in a day, and, and you have this tiny little incision, and you're ready to go back to work before long. That's vast improvement in clinical care. But we haven't put the same efforts at looking at the delivery system and the financing system in this country. And, and so we need to, to, to talk about how do we 
how do we transform the delivery system? And how should we transform that delivery system? What should hospitals be? And what should healthcare facilities be? And there's a, a huge difference between being a healthcare provider and simply a hospital. And I don't think most people can be just a hospital. So we need to look at being a healthcare provider. And we also need to remember that we as the people who've grown up with that and who will still be there for the trauma victim, the burn victim, some of the serious psychiatric uh, things, the the massive surgeries, the, the neurosurgeries, all of those kinds of things will still be the place because you can't do that outpatient. You can't do that in a shopping center. But we also need to know that Everybody that needs a CT scan for a, for a back problem doesn't want to spend four hours sitting in our hospital and you know climbing through all that. We need to we need to look at the best way. We need to look at telemedicine. Mm. We need to look at simpler ways of billing, more understandable ways of billing, not wasting so much time on our billing. But we haven't really spent the time doing that because most of the time we've been fighting. Battles of, you know, we finally got the ACA passed. We thought we would go forward and start to make the improvements. And guess what? We're now trying to, we're battling to save it. So this country has got to grow up and we've got to be to join the other families of industrialized nations who, who, at least cover everybody and have a system you can understand. You can disagree with it, but you can understand it. That's so true, and uh, it is a, a bit, you know, demoralizing that you sort of we we over many years we climbed that mountain in 2010 and had such expectations. And as you said, we got to 20 million, but you know now we're we're sort of watching mm-hmm. it decline some, and and we need to figure out a way to get beyond this, and hopefully. Uh, in the future, we will. Let me, uh, before we leave, go over a, a, a few other items uh, because you've not just spent many, many years uh, working in hospitals and healthcare. You're also very engaged in in a few other areas that I think our listeners might be interested in. Um, one uh, at our frequent lunches, uh, you've talked about your experiences in teaching in Japan, and maybe you can fill us in a little bit. And I don't know whether. In your retirement, you're going to continue that or not? But uh, uh, so, what's up with with the with your frequent trips over 30 years to Japan? Well, you know, it was a it was an opportunity uh, that started when I was the vice president for nursing at Providence Hospital in Washington. And one of my head nurses was a native-born Japanese and had been educated in Japan and come to the United States. And uh, she asked me just to visit with. Her sister, who was also a nurse in Japan and a delegation of nurses in 1980 when they were visiting Washington, I said, oh, sure. So we had a cup of coffee and or tea, I guess the Japanese had, and we had a lovely conversation and they said, you must come to Japan. And so within a year, I was spending three weeks in Japan and then I started bringing nurses from Japan to Washington. And after a couple years, I got tired of going to Japan and they got tired of coming to Washington. So we started meeting in places like Ireland. (laughs) And the Japanese, you know how polite and reserved and structured they can be. 
until they have a little Irish whiskey and then they want to step dance. So it's been a wonderful experience. I, I love the Japanese people. Mm-hmm. I probably won't continue to do too much uh, with the Japanese. I will probably continue to do some work with the Daughters of Charity in the Middle East and, and in some other countries. Uh, one of the other issues that that frequently comes up when I'm I'm trying to set a lunch with you is, uh, well, she could do it uh, sometime in about two and a half weeks, but uh, it, it all depends on whether that next Rome trip is going to be set up or not. So you're frequently in Rome. So what's what's with these Rome trips? What happens over there? <laughs> what's your role? <laughs> well, there's certainly good food over there, as you well know. But actually, hospitals, Catholic hospitals in the United States, it's important for them to understand, and I think they do well, that they are a mission of the church. They're responsible not only to the local bishop, but to the church in Rome for a major ministry of the church. And the church sees healing as integral to its ministry. And so um, for for that, it's important that they know you and you know them. So there are a number of what Rome calls dicasteries, we'd call departments mm-hmm. at the Vatican that have to do with health care. Um, there is there was one specifically for the pastoral care of healthcare workers, and it's been merged into one that um, also includes the family. There are um, ones that talk about migrants. There are ones that talk about justice and peace, and look at healthcare from that perspective. And so um, there are ones that talk about the dignity of life. And so we go over there, and and the big one we deal with is. It, because of the way hospitals in this country were set up, and most almost all of them by religious women. So the dicastery, or what they call the Congregation for Religious, they have a lot to say about the hospitals. And so, you know, the smart thing to do with a politician on Capitol Hill is to get to know him before you have a challenge. <laughs> so it is really important to tell our story in peace when there are no big issues in various areas of the Vatican, and also to get their support and assistance. But but at the same time, be sure that they understand what's going on. And, and the healthcare system in the United States is like nothing in Europe. And so when you say we, we have so many million people who don't have health insurance and therefore don't have access they don't understand that concept. And so making it clear that we really do need to make these facilities stronger and stronger because and, – and we also do need to be active in advocacy because it's an injustice that so many of the citizens of this country don't have health care. Um, and so – Helping them to understand the American healthcare system is, and and also to look at the big numbers in debt service and bond issues and things like that. It's important that they understand us. So I I think I'm hearing uh, themes now uh, for my next question, uh, which is you're retiring. <laughs> uh, you're probably not retiring from healthcare, but at least from the CHA. Uh, what would you like your legacy to be? Uh, when people look back at it, and uh, what aspirations do you have for healthcare care uh, and hospital care, particularly in the future? Well, you know, I, I think 
that what would define success for me at CHA, and I do, I do believe it is true that CHA's best days are ahead of it. Um, there's a strong team in, at CHA throughout the whole organization, and I think they will get, the board is working hard to recruit a new competent leader, and there's a sense of Co uh, of cohesiveness among the members and the association, um, a lot of a lot of great work together, and so I think CHA's best days are ahead of it in helping uh, in a in a tumultuous time. First of all, to hold as much ground as we can on the ACA, and then when there is an opportunity to revisit and improve it, and 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 extend its benefits to, uh, you know, we still have states who haven't even expanded Medicaid, even though in several of them, you've had voter referendums that overwhelmingly said do it. And so um, it's going to be important that together with our other colleagues in healthcare, that we look at transforming the delivery system, transforming the financing system, we know we're going through a political year where there are going to be a lot of people who have the silver bullet for health care. Um, and if there was a silver bullet, I think we would have found it by now. It's a lot of day-to-day -day work and blocking and tackling. And so we've got to we, – but, we, but it could be done much better than it's being done now. We've got to stop this nonsense of dismantling the ACA. We've got to stop this – egregious behavior of all of a sudden saying, if you're on Medicaid, you've got to be working um, and scaring. Look how many people were scared in Arkansas off of Medicaid, 18,000 and in one blow. It, that is disgraceful. You know, to take health insurance away from people and to take it away from their children is just really disgraceful. There is no valid excuse in the world why a child does not have good health insurance. And so we've got to we've got to get that turned around and we've got to help this nation that provides police protection, fire protection, education to everybody why it doesn't provide the basic health care service. So I mean I, I think that having gotten played a small role in getting that started, I think the best success would be that CHA plays a major role in carrying that forward. And I think they're poised to do that. Great. Sister, thank you so much uh, for the conversation this afternoon. Uh, it was wonderful. It was both um, uh, informative and inspiring. And uh, all I can say is that I hope you won't be a stranger, that I'm going to miss you from the hurly-burly of our uh, policy battles in Washington, but look forward to opportunities uh, at least to get together for lunch and to both reminisce and talk about the wonderful things I'm sure you'll be doing uh, into the future. Thank you, Chip. I promise you can always buy me lunch. Thanks so much for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Hospitals in Focus on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or visit our website, fah.org. It is so important that we get your feedback on our show. Please rate us and give us a review. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Until next time, this is Chip Kahn with Hospitals in Focus.